And we tend to equate the experience of burnout with just being exhausted and that it's individually, I feel exhausted. And in reality, stress can come from any place. Stress can come from sitting in traffic, a bad conversation with our family members. Stress can come from just workloads. Stress can come from anywhere. Burnout is really something that has a workplace root or association or cause with it. Welcome to On Your Terms with Erin King, a show about living a life you truly love. Here's Erin. So on the tired spectrum, how do you know where you're ranking? So on one side, you have feeling exhausted, which we've all felt and which is pretty normal. As we move along the spectrum, you get to maybe feeling stressed out, very stressed out. And then towards the end of the spectrum, we get to the more extreme levels of tired. I am talking the most dangerous word in any entrepreneur's vocabulary, the B word, burnout. In today's episode, guys, it is so key. If you are an entrepreneur, someone working in corporate, someone who is transitioning careers and you are feeling exhausted, very stressed or burnt out, today's episode with Paula Davis is going to, quite frankly, change your world. Paula is the founder and CEO of the Stress and Resilience Institute, which is a training and consulting firm. They partner with leaders and organizations to help them reduce burnout and build resilience at the team, leader, and organizational levels. Now, Paula left her law practice after seven years when she herself was facing burnout. She got her master's in applied positive psychology, and as part of her postgrad, she was selected to be part of UPenn's teaching and training program. She taught over 40,000 soldiers and their family members as part of the Army's comprehensive soldier and family fitness program. Paula has been featured in the New York Times, O, Oprah Magazine, Washington Post, Forbes, Fast Company, Psychology Today, and now she is with us at On Your Terms to talk about the difference between stress and burnout and how we can better manage it. On Your Terms, friends, Paula brings the heat. Saddle up and get ready because there are some red flags you can watch out for, identify, and better manage before they spiral out of control. Ladies and gentlemen, Paula Davis. Hello, everyone. Erin King here, and welcome to today's episode of On Your Terms. Today, I have Paula Davis with me. You heard her intro. She's a complete dynamo, lawyer, working with the Army, and now one of the world's leading experts on stress and resilience. Paula, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for joining us. Oh, thank you, Erin. I'm so excited to delve into these topics. Let's go. You and me both. I mean, talk about having the right expertise at the right time. I mean, it's all we're talking about right now. You must be so busy. Yes, but it's fantastic. I mean, I think it's a really prime opportunity to get out there and really start to dig into some of these topics that I think really influence and impact people's world of work. So it's been a fascinating learning experience for me, for sure. But yes, very busy. Well, okay, so let's kick it back. So a lot of our listeners know my entrepreneurial story. I, at one point, having raised seven figures of capital from a bunch of dudes in Newport Beach to start a tampon delivery company, we were featured in Forbes and eight. 18 months into it, after working my absolute butt off with shipping policies and Chinese products and FDA regulations and investors and a team and all of the PR and the marketing and learning the back end and e-commerce and all this stuff, 
18 months into it, Paula, I had a complete nervous breakdown. Mm-hmm. Chunks of my hair coming out in the shower. Ironically, the CEO of PMS.com stopped getting my period. I was having night terrors. My body was literally shutting down. And I remember just being collapsed on the floor of a shower, unable to speak. It was a complete physical, mental, emotional burnout. That was in 2015. And I can still remember seven years later, that feeling of just numbness. It's almost like you can't feel anything. And it took me years to figure out how to come back from that with therapy and personal development books and rewriting my story with money and business and identity. And now fast forward to today, and I've had a thriving social media agency for years that was acquired this past January. I finally learned how to manage my stress with time management strategies and mental and emotional health practices. I am definitely a 180 degree difference from that gal who was sobbing on the floor of the shower. But for someone who is listening right now, who is maybe in the throes of it, who is either feeling underappreciated at work, maybe they're dabbling with this topic of quiet quitting where they're just kind of phoning in the bare minimum, or maybe they're an entrepreneur like I am, who has just been sprinting, but a true sprint is only for a short amount of time. So they're trying to sprint forever and ever. Amen, which we know is not sustainable. Whoever they are, what would you say in your vast expertise is one of the main things that we get wrong when it comes to how we think about this feeling of on the scale from a little bit stressed to the most extreme of burnout? Like, what do we get wrong about this, would you say? Yeah. So there's a number of things that we get wrong. So first of all, we have to think about the difference between stress and burnout. There is a difference between stress and burnout. So that's a first big distinction because we oftentimes will come home at the end of a busy day or busy week, or, you know, it's just, we're in an exhausted period of time and we say, Oh, I'm so burned out. And we tend to equate the experience of burnout with just being exhausted and that it's individually, I feel exhausted. And in reality, stress can come from any place. Stress can come from sitting in traffic, a bad conversation with our family members. Stress can come from just workload. Stress can come from anywhere. Burnout is really something that has a workplace root or association or cause with it. Mm-hmm. So if we're talking about burnout, if we're really talking about burnout, we're talking about something that is associated with our world or experience of work. Um, now, having said that, there's you know obviously things that happen in our personal life that we, you know, the stress of those things we bring to work and we can't just neatly you know, compartmentalize it and what have you. Sure. When the World Health Organization updated its definition of burnout a couple of years ago, they were very keen to point that out. So that's one mistake that we make. Another mistake that we make is we think that it is all us. And really burnout is the individual manifestation of a workplace systems or culture issue. And so if we are experiencing burnout or if you are seeing this in your organizations, in your startups, what we really have to do is take a step back and then ask, well, what's causing it? Because what we oftentimes tend to do, and this is certainly what I did coming out of my own burnout at the end of my law practice, I really blamed myself and thought like, what stress management memo did I miss? Like, how did I set myself up for this? Because I was in a pretty bad shape when my law practice ended. Um, I was on my way to what you were describing. 
one step away from being into that full breakdown. Mm-hmm. And so we have to, as organizations say, well, what's truly causing this? And so we have to have a different conversation because we're not asking the right question right now about burnout. Okay. Um, so we have to be looking at some core drivers of burnout that the research shows us. And it's things like unmanageable workload. So not just high workload, because as high need for achievement professionals, we want to be busy. I think busy helps us feel like we're needed, right? Especially as entrepreneurs, if we're growing our business. For me, it's hard for me to say no, because this is great. I've got work coming in and all of that. Um, It's when we feel like we're going to sink, like we're sinking, like I can't get my arms around it. I'm treading water. And at any moment, I feel like my head's going to go beneath the surface. And I have that feeling consistently. So there's a difference between unmanageable workload and high workload. And what drives burnout is the unmanageable piece of it. When I've worked with entrepreneurs and teams and things of that, especially over the past couple of years, this has pretty much been universally the number one driver that I've seen, whether I've measured it or just heard anecdotally um, of this heightened sense of stress and burnout in our world of work. But coming in a very close second is also lack of recognition. So as we're building our brands, as we're building our companies, as we are you know, just trying to get through the day because everyone is so busy... This lack of recognition, which can be like, I don't hear thank you enough. It can be, I think I'm making a positive impact, but no one's really paying attention or saying anything to me about it. It can be, I'm working at a certain level, but my title doesn't match. It comes in a number of different forms. I don't have a seat at the table. You know, my boss is texting me for advice while he or she is sitting in on an important meeting. Why can't I just be in on the important meeting? That would be fantastic. Comes in a very close second. And so universally, I am hearing that, you know, even if we could just start with like a basic thank you and recognizing people so they don't feel like cogs in a wheel and that they're just doing something for nothing, I think is really important. So that's another one, but also lack of community. Um, I'm coming to a workplace where I don't feel a sense of team. I don't feel a sense of belonging. I'm unsure about whether my leader has my back. I'm not sure that I feel cared about or cared for. So that's important. Sometimes a values disconnect, right? There's certain things that I expect and that I want from my world of work and my environment isn't matching that. There's a disconnect somewhere between the values that I'm bringing and that I want from my world of work. And then a lack of control and flexibility is another big one. And certainly we've seen this in the last couple of years where people got really used to, you know, just working from home and it's like, don't bother me doing my laundry at two in the afternoon. And that shouldn't matter because I'm going to, you know, patch back in two hours later and work until midnight because that's what works for me. So that sense of control and flexibility becomes really important when we don't have it. That's one of the core needs that we have. So we have to start looking at some of these big drivers and saying like, what are we missing in our teams, in our organizations that is kind of the upstream piece that's pushing this experience of heightened stress and uncertainty and overload and overwhelm and languishing and burnout to people who individually then experience it. So that's really, I think the biggest thing that I see that we get wrong is we're missing that conversation. And instead, we say, oh, well, somebody's just really stressed out. We've got, you know, an employee assistance program and we have, you know, meditation app and we have chair massages and we have these other well-being resources that are very important components of a full-on, you know, well-being type strategy in organizations. But those things aren't going to fix the core causes that I just mentioned. And so pathing people to just general stress management stuff 
isn't enough. It's certainly a piece of it, but we make that the whole conversation when in reality, it's just a very small piece of the puzzle to figure out. So much to unpack there. Yeah. I have, I just wrote five pages of notes while you were talking. Okay. So pause. Yes. You are so passionate about this. You're obviously an incredible expert. Um, I want to dive into each one of these indicators that you talked about, but I couldn't stop my brain from wanting to hear your story the whole time. So let's back it up. So you were working in a law firm. I have a lot of girlfriends that are lawyers. And I remember that I was friends with them before they went on their path of being a lawyer. Then I didn't hear from them for a very long period of time. And now that yes. they're partners in their law firms, we're friends again. So we know it is one of the <laughs> highest stress paths that you can take. So tell us about your story and what led you to becoming so passionate about this. And then let's dive into some of these incredible function points around stress versus burnout. So tell us more about your story. Yeah. So I practiced law for seven years and burnout is really the catalyst. Burnout was the thing that made me want to go and study workplace well-being and figure out how to help other people not go through what I had been through. Yeah. This is a very foreign experience for me. It's odd for me to say that sitting here now, having done so much work in this space, but I didn't really know what burnout was. I just knew what I was experiencing was dressed in a different way. And that's all I could really put mm. It. And there were three big warning signs that I missed that I'm usually keen to tell people about during my experience. And, and the first one is that I was chronically, physically, and emotionally exhausted. And I'm sure you'll be able to key in on some of these or all of these as well from your own experience. But like literally nothing that I did replenished my energy. And so mm -hmm. I stopped playing co-ed softball with my friends. And I stopped hanging out with my family as much because I really, you know, to what you were just saying, I really just needed to narrow my focus at and have it be work because that's yeah. all I really felt like I could be capable of, you know, dreading Sundays always, you know, like waking up feeling excited. And then by noon, I'm doing the countdown. Like I got to go to bed in 10 hours and then it's five hours and I, oh. I wake up in the morning, you know, cause I don't want to go to work and stuff like that. And then um, the second big warning sign that I missed is that I was chronically cynical. Mm. So everyone annoyed me. Everyone bothered me. I had more of a short temper. Um, I was more moody. I was more reactionary, um, which is not my personality at all. And with my clients, especially, there was a lot of, um, you know, internal, um, outwardly very professional, but internally like eye rolling going like, oh, can you figure mm. this out on your own? Do we really have to talk about this? You're not going to listen to my advice anyway. So why, why should we care? Why, what, yeah. let's do the exercise. Yeah. And then this led to... Really the third big piece of it, which was a sense of like, why bother? Who cares? So I never lost confidence in my ability to be a good lawyer, but really just struggled to see like, what's my path supposed to be in this profession? I didn't really have a strong why to go into it. So I didn't have that to lean on. Um, and it started to open the door for me, just asking lots of questions. Like, is this really what I meant to be doing? Is this what I should be doing? Do I even like this? Question. What was your why? You said it wasn't strong enough. What was your why? Why did you become a lawyer? Oh, so I just did it because it was a, a good degree to have, I thought. So my undergrad is degree is in psychology, which I absolutely loved. And I okay. didn't want to get a PhD on the kind of the mental illness side of psychology. And there wasn't yet a named branch of science called positive psychology at the time. And so there wasn't a lot of variety available to me at that okay. time in terms of education. Had a couple of pre-law classes in um, college and liked them. And so I was like, woo, let's go to law school. Okay, got it. And I think that's a common story for a lot of people who find themselves five or 10 years down a path that they've been chasing, whether it was a path that their parents recommended or what the heck else should I do? Why not? Like a why not is not yeah. a why. 
No. And they're very extrinsic reasons, right? Like doing it to make a lot of money or doing it because my parents wanted me to, or doing it because it seems prestigious is not an internally motivated reason for doing something. It's Mm -hmm. I'm doing it because of all of these, you know, external factors or, or reasons. And so, you know, for some people that works and then for other people, you know, you get to a point and you got to make a decision. And, you know, when you don't have that to lean on, that can certainly be the case. But so it was actually in-house at the time when I had my burnout. I was not at a law firm. I was working in an organization um, in their corporate legal department. And by the time I figured out what I wanted to do, I mean, it took at least a year to kind of go through that process of burnout, figure out what I wanted to do. And I was in bad shape, just physically and uh, mentally and emotionally. So, you know, what started as me rolling into work a little bit later and going to holiday parties late and leaving early and what have you really ended up, I was getting panic attacks almost every day. I mean, I had Mm. to leave meetings and negotiations because I could feel them coming on. Um, I was in the emergency room twice because I had really bad stomach aches from the stress that I was experiencing. Um, So burnout exists on a spectrum and not everybody is in the same place. And so when people say, how do you fix it? it? The answer sort of is it depends on where you are kind of in the process, because if you're over where I was at the end, then you're probably talking about needing some mental health resources like therapy and, you know, talking to your healthcare provider about, you know, is there medication and other things that need to come into play versus at the beginning, if, you know, you're just kind of procrastinating and and just kind of hanging out, you know, you might be talking about more of a different type of conversation. Yeah. And everyone's experience is different, right? I mean, like I completely ignored every single warning sign that was presenting itself to me completely. And everything you described, the apathy, disconnecting from friends and family, internal cynicism, essentially becoming someone that at your essence, you know, you aren't that gal and yet this gal is showing up. And so I think what's so important for anyone listening is like, Nothing is wrong with you. Nothing is out of your control in terms of your ability to recognize it and see like, it's not just going to get better on its own. It's not just going to resolve itself magically. And and for me anyway, I fully was delusional enough to think like, if I just keep pushing through, powering through, grinding it out, it'll just resolve itself. And I, I wish I had done it so different. I mean, I really do, Paula. And I'm thrilled that you're taking the time today with us because I'm hoping someone listening, if they have been ignoring the signs and they do need to reset that this is their wake up call and that they're like, okay, I'm taking this seriously. I need to evaluate this. So tell us about everyone's journey is different, but what are some of the most common key indicators that your sliding scale has gone from, I'm stressed out. I have a high workload, but we're sort of moving into the unmanageable territory. What are some of those indicators? Yeah. So one of the first things that shows up for a lot of people is procrastination, you know, where you're normally you're excited to like take on your, you know, assignments and challenges and ask for more work and what have you turns into, you're starting to feel that sense of exhaustion and tired. And so you're trying to put up boundaries in a sense. And so some of it shows up as, I'm going to start this project later, or I'm going to say no to something, or, you know, instead of coming in at seven, I'm going to start work at nine or whatever that looks like for you. But that sense of procrastination is really a big one. And gosh, we all have days, weeks, even where we've like, you know, maybe just hit a wall or we're having a bad time or something has happened. So if you're noticing this like episodically or just kind of periodically, that's not necessarily indicative of burnout, but if you're noticing it more often than not over a period of time, that that's how you're feeling. And this is how you're showing up 
doing your assignments and things, that's something to think about. That procrastination one is a big one. And to your point, as you said with your story, and as you saw with my story, stress shows up physically also. So another sign can be, are you getting sick more frequently? Um, Mm -hmm. Like I got headaches more frequently. I got stomach aches more frequently. I got colds much more frequently than what is typical. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that you can think about as well. Just generally disconnecting from things that, you know, you typically would otherwise enjoy doing. Like, so I stopped playing softball as a way to try to con- conserve energy. And that was one of the things that I really actually needed was that support and that interaction with friends and people outside of work, you know? And so that was, yeah. that was really, I'm not great. Well, that's interesting because isn't that funny? Whenever we find ourselves in a situation where our cup is empty, where our battery is low, our gas tank is empty, what we need to do is run towards that source. But what do we all do? We all clamp up. I mean, I fully run away because we're like, oh, I'm not my best self. I don't want to be a downer. I feel so exhausted that going and being with and peopling feels like it would actually run my battery down further. And so, and so I think it's so important for all of us to think about, gosh, when we recognize that our battery is low, when we recognize that we are exhausted, we are feeling disconnected, we have to sort of override what feels like it might be the short-term win for that ultimate long-term recharge. And that's 100% what it is. And what we think about is we think in the immediate short term of the amount of time it's going to take because we feel like I just don't have enough time to do all of this stuff. And then yeah. it makes me anxious and depletes my energy even more. And instead, we have to reframe it as it's, you know, yes, it might take you two hours to like suit up for your softball game, go there, play the game, hang out afterwards. But what are you going to get in return, right? You're going to yeah. get interaction with people. You're going to get energy boosts. You're going to get a chance to talk about what's going on. You're just going to get out of the house. All of those things have a measurable gain associated with them. Mm -hmm. And so instead of looking at it as the depletion of time, look at it in terms of like on that end of the equation, what are you going to gain from it? And Mm -hmm. so when we start to think about that, then the time that we've spent becomes worth it. And so that's a question that we can ask ourselves a lot is the way that I frame it is, is what I'm about to do getting me closer to or further away from what's important. If what's important is for me to spend time with my friends and hang out with people and have a chance to talk and just like blow off some steam and have some fun, then going to play the softball game is the thing that I should be doing. And so, yeah, it's Mm going to take some time and I might have to make up some work tomorrow or I'll go in later, whatever it is going to be. But the payoff down the road is going to be that I'm getting that recharge and that replenish in a way that is going to protect me from potentially some of the effects of significant stress. Mm-hmm. And I love the idea of making it these more manageable chunks where you're saying, okay, yeah. look, this is a two hour refuel. We're like cars. It would be like, you know, you never got your oil changed. You never got anything fixed. You just ran it into the ground. Well, that's going to cost you $30,000 and it's going to be off the road for a month versus, yeah. you know, stop by Jiffy Lube for 15 minutes, pay the 30 bucks and pay attention to the flashing light. Like is the warning light on because ignoring it is not going to make it go away. And I'm preaching to eight years younger me. Okay. So what I love that you authorized us to do, Paula, is I love that you didn't make procrastination that's binary, all good or all bad. And I love when, when my guests acknowledge the gray around these concepts, because I really feel like a lot of us are so tempted because it's easier for our brains to process and for us to understand things are good or bad, you know, good or evil, black or white, you know, whatever, A or B. 
What I love about the procrastination comment you made earlier is kind of authorizing us to pay attention to, am I engaging in a behavior that I've sort of always engaged in? Or has this evolved in a way that I know is moving me further from who I used to be at my shiniest, most radiant self? So for procrastination, for example, I have always procrastinated on creative work because I am the kind of person where if I procrastinate to like the day before the slides are due to this day for a a custom keynote, the night before it's like one glass of wine and a candle and it's due tomorrow. And the whole story will just come pouring out where I am so excited and I'm in flow and the time just slips away and and it's fabulous, right? I couldn't engineer that if I started when the slides were due two weeks ago. Okay. But on the other hand, to your point, if you find that there were certain things that you really enjoyed doing and you're procrastinating because you no longer want to do what you used to enjoy, that is a really nice, clean, simple way to think about, ooh, that's a flag. I need to pay attention to that and really be intentional about how I take action with these small refuels. So I love that. Okay. You mentioned earlier this idea around recognition. So not being seen for the work that we're doing. And what you described is really sort of this misalignment of the exchange of energy. It's a misalignment of expectations because if we are coming to work, balls to the wall, we are putting in the extra creativity. We've given it extra thought. We're bringing our best wholest self to work. And when we don't feel that it's reciprocated either fiscally via compensation or emotionally via recognition, that's when we begin to sort of get that feeling of resentment resentment, which we all know that resentment is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Not a healthy quality. So tell us more about some of the strategies and some of the the best practices that you've seen when we find ourselves in a situation like many people are today, especially post-pandemic. A lot of people are trying to redefine what the value exchange looks like. What's a good step to begin to sort of evaluate like, hmm, is this a narrative that I'm telling myself? Do I confront my boss? Do I, you know, observe it and monitor for four weeks? Do I take notes? Like how do we practically sort of approach this? I think honestly, we know when we're not getting um, fed at work, when we're not feeling what we expect or what we want to feel from our work and from our work environment, I think we know keenly what that feels like. Mm. Then the question becomes, what do you do about it? If anything, right? There's a lot of answers to that question, right? One of the answers is quiet quitting. You know, one of the answers is I'm going to leave and go down the street. You know, one of the answers is, you know what, this is just the way the world of work is. And I'm just going to suck it up and drive on. And I'm going to keep going because I got bills to pay. And this is just kind of what I'm going to do. I think it's always important to, bring it to somebody's attention. If you feel like you have the right relationship and that, especially if the role matters to you, like you can see yourself evolving in this organization and in this, and in this company, if the work is still something that excites you on some level, I think it's really helpful to talk about because this stuff comes out all the time in engagement surveys. So oftentimes when I'm doing work with teams and organizations, they'll share with me some of their engagement survey results. And there's a lot of that sort of like core driver of burnout that we talk about. There's a lot of that language that shows up in those types of surveys. That's oftentimes not paid attention to or keenly thought of as associated with burnout oftentimes by leaders. So as part of my job is to educate them as to make those connections and to hear that your people are talking to you in burnout language, Mm. but you're not listening to them necessarily. And so what's hard oftentimes though, with the recognition piece in particular, is sometimes it can feel like maybe we're feeling entitled. Like, am I asking for something too much? 
on the leader side, a lot of leaders might think, Hey, I'm giving you a paycheck. Like that's recognition. Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. Like we want something more like, and that's the generational component, right? Different generations, different expectations of how we were raised to think about the value exchange, right? Yes. But I would say like, so I'm a young gen Xer and I would say, I wanted recognition. I'm a high need for achievement professional. Tell me how I'm doing. I want to know. I just wasn't labeled as like needy or whatever the labels that millennials and Gen Z get placed because they want these same things. I wanted it too, but my peers and I just didn't have the numbers or the wherewithal to really say anything about it. And we just kind of put our heads down and did it, but I still wanted it. Right. You didn't um, have TikTok. So you couldn't go on TikTok and tell no. everyone about it. <laughs> no, right. I didn't grow right. up in that environment. And you think about like, you know, the people who are looking for this sort of feedback and recognition are the ones who are writing all of the reviews for things. It's like you go online and, you know, there's thousands of reviews for different, you know, like hotels and restaurants and things like that. They're used to having that exchange of here's how I feel and here's what I need. Here's I'm going to tell you how you're doing kind of iteration and interaction. And so that can be sort of off-putting, I think, maybe for boomers and folks who were raised in a different environment. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to that. But I think when we don't feel that sense of like people see that I'm doing something well, then we can just feel like a cog in the wheel. And then at the end of the day, I don't know that I necessarily feel so bad for companies anymore when people are going to do what they're going to do then to sort of quell that feeling or go find it somewhere else or say, you know, no, this is really what I need. Um, saying a simple thank you to somebody isn't really something that's all that hard to do. It's just that in the busyness in the swirl of work, it tends to be forgotten and lost pretty easily. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it can be, it can be thank yous. It can be promotions. It can be, you know, monetary, as you mentioned, I've heard of a couple of companies who will even send like candy baskets or flower baskets or notes of recognition and thanks to somebody's family members, because the person, the employee actually, you know, had to work a full weekend or, you know, pulled an all nighter or what have you. And so there's lots of different ways to address it. We just have to, I think, just get better at realizing that it's really a core driver of engagement and thriving and motivation and all of these good things that we want to see at work. Mm -hmm. It's so well said. And I love that idea of sending the gift to the family. I mean, first of all, it's very empathetic and generous, but also it's genius and strategic because who do they go to complain about the boss to, right? And then the families, they're, they're diving into the, the cheese and wine basket and they're like, I don't know. He doesn't seem so bad to me, right? She doesn't seem like such a bad egg, right? Exactly. Genius. No. Okay. So let's talk about um, the component that you mentioned earlier around lack of control and flexibility. I think that's a really hot topic right now, particularly in this future of work. The billion dollar question is how do we navigate this complex communication channel where we have some people who can't wait to get back in the office, <laughs> get away from their houses. Some people yeah. that are like, you can't drag me in there kicking and screaming. I will find another job before yeah. I will go back into the office. And then we have what I'm seeing primarily with most of my Fortune 100 clients is this hybrid environment, which yeah. is a hot mess express from where I've sat because I was in a conference call just three weeks ago. I was live at one of our partner offices here in Orange County. We had 10 people live around the boardroom table. And then we had 15 that joined us remotely on the big fancy Zoom with the big, huge screen, very high tech. Everyone can see everybody. And it was incredible because the banter before the meeting that the Zoom employees did not get to weigh in on totally set the tone for our vibe. So we had this rapport energetically
automatically. So then we felt like sort of rude. So we tried to bring in the Zoom people and joke about the cat and the kids and whatever. So then again, meeting's great. We all go around table. Everyone kind of feels involved. Well, then what happens? Of course, the camera goes off and everyone sits around and keeps talking about the actual issue that came up. There was all the insights. Everyone's high-fiving. We all go to lunch. So it's really interesting to figure out how we can engineer an environment while still preserving this essential need for feeling an illusion of control, at least. And this idea that we do have some agency of flexibility over our own lives. And I think with the boundaries being so blurry and redrawn and then torn up the next day, I mean, no one has the answer to this question, but from your perspective, when that, maybe some of the in or out of office bias, or they miss something or they don't feel included. Like what are some of the ways that you've seen your clients be able to not fix it or solve it, but maybe just navigate it with a little bit of a lower stress level? Yeah. There's so much to say about this. So like the hybrid piece in particular, you're right. It is a hot mess in part because it's just something that we're, I feel like we're winging and we're not doing with enough intentionality. And so there's a big component of intentionality that is required if we're going to execute hybrid work successfully. And it means that you have to be on the same page about how we're going to communicate, when we're going to communicate. Um, Somebody who is a piece of the puzzle remotely, again, might not pick up on tone and might not get that somebody was being sarcastic when they said something. And so somebody who is present in the physical space might need to say, no, Monica was just being, you know, sarcastic there and like connect the dots. So it's taking a lot of social intelligence as well to bring all of this together. Mm -hmm. We need to understand like if people are in the physical space together and somebody remote or people remotely miss context or miss some of what was talked about, who's going to be the person who's going to summarize all of those points and give them to the remote people because they need access to that information as well. Some people have mentioned like have remote people speak first when it comes to meetings because they can be very easily forgotten when you're just sitting around looking at the people who are in your physical space. Mm -hmm. So have remote people speak first, hear their opinions and solicit their opinions and things before you start to hear from folks um, in, in place. But it takes a lot more intentionality, I think, than what we are doing. I write about this a lot in my book. I write about the ABCs and I write about them as a framework for motivation and well-being that companies and and teams would be keen to pay attention to. So it's the A is autonomy, as we've talked about, that control and flexibility. The B is belonging, that need that I need to feel like I'm cared about, like I'm showing up to a team that matters to me where I can be myself. And the C is competence or mastery. I'm working toward goals that matter to me that are really important to me. These are three critical workplace needs that we've got 40 plus years of research showing we have to have. They're not nice to have, but I have to to be fed in these three ways if I'm going to feel a sense of intrinsic motivation and well-being associated with my work. And the tension right now is between the A and the B. How do I promote that sense of flexibility and continue to preserve that for people who just got a big dose of it and a big taste of it and realize that it's pretty darn nice to have Mm -hmm. that sense of belonging? And how do I cultivate that? Because it's likely a lot easier to be done in person. Um, It's easier for me to mentor and onboard and take people around the office to meet key people and what have you when people are physically present in a space. And so that I think is the big tension going forward that companies are really going to have to wrestle with is how do we get the right mix of that? Because if we go too far one way or the other, 
you're right. People are going to say, uh-uh, I'm going to go look somewhere else and see if they have a different policy or they're more flexible with how they do it. But there's no intentionality around a lot of this right now. And a lot of companies are leaving it up to individual teams to just decide how to do it and when people come in and then right. that makes it hard. And so well, it, it kind of reminds me a little bit, you know, I my whole career was working in social media until this past January when we our agency was acquired. But for years and years, we were we started off in social media back when it was the Wild West and back when it was confusing and there were there was no social media law, there were no guidelines, you know, employers and employees were on different pages, everyone was winging it to use your phrase. And it kind of brings me back to because I used to say like we have to have a policy and guidelines and rules. Otherwise, if we don't give any rules, people are going to make up their own. And then everyone's playing by a different playbook. And it's just really challenging. You can't manage what you can't measure and especially what isn't even articulated. So it's going to be interesting to see how it rolls out. I think one thing that I'm super excited about for everyone listening is just the fact that, first of all, you have such deep expertise, but you also have all these incredible resources online. You have this on-demand resource learning library where you have courses and books and assessments. And I mean, this was like the 30,000 foot view for today, but where should they go on your website? Is it pauladavis.com or is it the Crisis Institute? It is stressandresilience.com, stressandresilience.com, and that will take you to the main website. And then you'll see a spot um, very clearly labeled on-demand resources. The On-Demand Resource Center takes you to a number of worksheets. I've got really short videos. A couple of them are free, but others can be licensed that are really short, meant to be just really you know quick doses of a lot of important topics, kind of around what we've talked about for organizations to use and for teams to be able to use and um, you know, new certificate courses around how to you know educate and train people within your organization to be have more of this expertise and who can talk about this in connection with some of the other initiatives that you might have in your in your organization. So those will be coming as well. But but yeah, that's that's so I can't wait to dive in. And what you said earlier was so important before we turn the camera on, of course, because that's always the goods before we actually start <laughs> recording. Right. But you were talking about how if you are in an organization where you have a leader that's saying, well, we have the meditation room or, you know, we have the beer fridge or we have the app where you can meditate or whatever these different components. Yes, they are better than nothing. Thing, and there's certainly a step in the right direction, as you said, but it is a sliding scale and stress and burnout are not the same. Stress relief and managing proactively what could be burnout takes a higher echelon. It takes more advanced research-backed strategies, and that's really what you have on your website. So I am going to encourage all of our success mag buds to check that out at stressandresilience.com. And Paula, thank you so much. This is an important episode um, I think that we all know that surviving and thriving is not the same thing. And so it's my hope this is going to help some of our listeners to make sure they're operating more in the space of thriving. So thank you so much for your time today. You're so welcome. Thank you, Erin. I'm so glad we had a chance to talk about this. Same here. And I'll have to give you a shout when I make my first trip to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. I can't wait. Yes, I'll take I'll take you out. We'll we'll have some cheese curds and what and you know beverages and whatever it is that we do we're known I for. I love here. it. It's my favorite food groups, cheese. So I'm here for it. Thanks again, Paula. You're incredible. I appreciate you. Thank you. 
Success Magazine friends, it is my hope that this podcast episode has helped you to really reevaluate your emotional, your mental health in a time when stress is high and resilience is super important. Paula has an incredible on-demand resource center at her website, stressandresilience.com. She has all kinds of worksheets, eBooks, courses, guides, and videos so that you can help to become more resilient and prevent your burnout in a researched, systemic way. Friends, I hope this has been an excellent part of your day in combating what is manageable so you can break through, level up, and live a life that you love on your terms.